And mm -hmm. at first I was like, I don't want to manage. I just want to code and develop. Automation is a big thing, right? You could see the testosterone went down. Making sure that you bring in a top level, couple of top level people. Hi everyone, it's Vasil Soloshuk from Insert. And this is our FinTech CTO podcast. And we have a very interesting guest today. So before getting started, please click the subscribe button and like this video. Let's go. Let me introduce our today's guest, uh, Ram Bajaj. So Ram has 25 years of IT experience in uh, insurance, consulting services, software as a service, utilities, and uh, biotech industries. And also Ram's background includes such large corporations like uh, AIG and more focused insurance consultancies like uh, Parent Knight and also fintech companies like uh, Checkout. I know that uh, he was uh, like cold born in Canada, but moved to Los Angeles to be more close to water and mountains and also to have a warm weather. And uh, also I know that he is a dedicated runner and this is also inspires me because I'm also a runner. So this is what I know about uh, you. And uh, so what is your version of your story? So can you please introduce yourself? So I was born and raised in Canada, um, like you mentioned, uh, grew up playing hockey. Um, at a very young age, I knew I wanted to be in technology. And I started coding when I was like 10, 12 years old. And um, yeah, took care of uh, the high school network systems, built programs for them. And I, you know, learned how to hack into systems and um, yeah, just at a very early age, I knew I just didn't want to learn programming, but also hardware. So I did uh, computer engineering actually, because I found actually programming easy. Um, it was, it was very simple, but I wanted to layer it with actually hardware and infrastructure too. So, um, which is interesting enough because um, as soon as I finished engineering, I actually started programming. Um, um, but then as my career evolved, I layered that also with infrastructure and cloud and, and, and data centers and, and networking along with um, developing applications and programs. So um, it was interesting like how I started my journey as a young adult, not just wanting to code, but also doing, um, uh, you know, building computers and building network cards, building motherboards and, and all that um, hardware stuff too. And then my career went back to development only, but then actually evolved as a CIO doing application development layered with infrastructure. And as we know, um, things are evolving again from um, application development going to the cloud and, and now even infrastructure becoming as a code, right? So all the lines are now getting blurred between DevOps and, and, and application development and cloud and, and um, let it, yeah. So it's interesting how my career started when I was all the way from 10, 12 to now as I'm a mature adult that how I envisioned my life to be and now how it is today, you know, all those lines are getting blurred again. You know, I remember mm -hmm. like 15 years ago, it was a very strict, clear line, application development and infrastructure, right? Okay. 15, 20 years ago. Uh, but now those lines are getting blurred, right? Um, yeah. So, so it's, it's uh, really interesting because that's how I envisioned 20, 30 years. Um, that's how I envisioned my life. And now fast forward 20, 30 years in, in 2020, 
um, we're seeing that those lines uh, again getting blurred. Before the interview, actually, I took a look how Gartner defines chief information officer role, and they say the chief information officer is actually somebody who oversees the people, processes, and technologies within companies' IT organization to ensure they deliver outcomes that support the goals of the business. It was interesting for me. So what the difference with the CTO role, actually? And uh, I also uh, read something in Investopedia specifically. They say that chief technology officer is the executive in charge of an organization's technological needs, as well as its research and development uh, activities. And he also examines uh, the short and long-term needs of the organizations. CTO usually reports directly to company's chief information officer, but uh, also he may report to chief executive officer. And there are a bunch of different uh, definitions. Uh, who is uh, uh, chief information officer? Who is uh, chief technology officer? And uh, who reports to whom? How do you see what the difference actually for uh, between CIO and CTO roles, taking That's into a, account all your experience? Yeah, it depends on the organization's maturity and direction, right? Um, if the organization, um, so at a high level CIO, is in charge of all technologies, right? Uh, to support mm -hmm. the business. Um, however, the CTO is focused on very specific technologies on product development, research, and stuff like that. It's a it's a it's a niche within technology, right? So if the company wants to just hyperly focus in research and development, and they're putting a lot of dollars and, and emphasis on that versus you know, a five-year roadmap of how we're going to support the sales organization, a finance organization, you know, marketing organization, um, debt, uh, operations and stuff like that. The CIO oversees all of that, but the CTO would not see oversee that, right? But however, the CTO is, is in an important role in organizations where they want to build um, a, a very specific go-to-market product, right? And, yes. or very specific research and R&D, and, um, and, and they want to be able to scale it and, 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 and all that, right? So at AIG, we actually had the CTO report into the CEO and the CIO report into the, the uh, CEO, right? However, okay. um, in smaller organizations, maybe you don't have that, right? At Checkalt, we had the CTO mm -hmm. actually report into uh, my role, right? So, um, however, the, the focus did change at the end that we did want to hyper-focus on the product, right? So mm -hmm. we changed our mm -hmm. operation model such that CTO was reporting. So it depends on the organization's goals and the organization's um, trajectory, right? Um, yes. and, and it can evolve within a few years, right? So, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and um, I, I see the CIO role being a lot broader, right? Supporting many facets of the organization, right? Not just a product that they're going to the market with, but like I said, finance, operations, marketing, you know, sales, and all those organizations that actually support the revenue and the customers and clients, right? However, the CTO is very focused on a product or research and development, just a very smaller niche, right? So, um, yeah, so that's how I see the differences. You know, you have a great experience in the, in AIG, like six, six, uh, 16 years, as I understand. Yeah. And uh, as I see, your, your role evolved during the time. So yeah. can you maybe share maybe some, uh, you know, some key milestones, how your role evolved, actually? And also where, I mean, uh, with the focus on 
how you were able to develop yourself in such a big uh, company that yeah. uh, probably has uh, multiple of opportunities to develop yourself. So how people can actually uh, develop yourself in uh, having that long career in one com- in one big company. So there's multiple. I am hard at heart an engineer and software developer and a uh, infrastructure person, right? I'm very I like technical and it's very simple, right? You install an application, you build an application, you build an if then else loop. It's very predictable, right? And okay. when I joined AIG, I joined as a developer. Um, and what happened is that um, Y2K happened and, and there were a lot of mergers and acquisitions and our teams were growing. Um, you know, my communication skills, my managerial skills um, were shining in such that I was executing app, uh, projects really well. And then my manager was like, you know, our teams are growing bigger. We need someone to manage these teams. And at first I was like, I don't want to manage. I just want to code and develop. However, I did have great leaders at AIG, right? And I saw how they managed and how they inspired people. Um, so eventually I took on, you know, a director role or first a manager role, director role, and then AVP and VP role. I was lucky enough to have great mentors and AIG was growing, right? So I joined a small firm called Sun America in LA, which was an investment firm for retirement mm-hmm. savings. And then they got bought out by AIG. And so I then took on a bigger role at AIG. And then within AIG, they kept buying organizations. And as they grew with, as they did a lot more mergers and acquisitions, I took on more responsibility. If you want to grow an organization, be ready to be uh, adaptable, right? Mm-hmm. Ready to learn, um, be ready to learn new um, skill sets. And okay. keep learning and keeping great mentors around you. And um, yeah, I would say those are the few things that I would, I would, you know, people should be aware of that if they want to grow an organization. Mind you, AIG at the time and up to just recently had great pension plans, right? So um, they have long, long-term incentive plans. They have career trajectory, career goal, goal plans, right? So that helps employees stay with an organization for a long time, right? So it builds mm-hmm. trust, it builds value, it brings commodity, you know, it brings you att- being attached to an organization a lot more than, you know, you see a lot more organizations now who don't offer pensions, you know, who don't have good career uh, tra- uh, plan growth for uh, employees, right? And hence the retention is not that long. Um, at AIG, I had a very, very low attrition rate. Um, mm-hmm. And as I grew through the organization and as I grew through my career, the the, the in my employees did want to come along with me, right? So being a, being a mentor, being a great leader and being a, a great uh, manager is important, right? Because as you grow, you want your people to grow and you want them to come along with you on your journey, right? And inspiring people um, and, and having their back, you know, having their back when it's tough out there, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and making sure that they grow and making sure, you know, what they want to do is also kept in mind. Most important expertise that you gained in the big corporation that was most important for your role in Perrin Knight. So can you name something? Yeah, no, absolutely. So AIG has great processes and procedures and methodologies, right? So what happens Mm -hmm. in a smaller organization like uh, Perrin Knight and Checkalt, they're they're almost like a startup, right? So they have no concept of... uh, 
you know, documentation or repeatability or, you know, what, what is an ITIL process? What's a, you know, what's an agile process? You know, they they don't have those, what's a budgeting, what, what's even just a basic annual review, right? Um, mm -hmm. Like employee reviews, they don't have those concepts yet. Um, some of them more so than others. Um, however, so what I brought to Paranite and Check Alt is that maturity, right? That maturity of what large organizations are doing in, in terms of processes and methodologies, right? So that was mm -hmm. uh, one of the biggest things that, you know, like, for example, you know, uh, a, a cap, right? Change advisory board, like, as you move products through the landscape, dev, QA, like, small companies are like, what is that? You know, just slap, just yes. put it into production, you know, why even test it, you know, have the customer test it. Um, not that bad, but just to kind of like hyper inflate what I'm trying to say. So, um, so at Paranite, you know, I got them the SOC 2 type 2 um, and, and making sure that, you know, and, and to achieve a SOC 2 type 2, you got to make sure your processes are documented and then your processes are followed. It, to ensure your customers and clients are meeting and have the safety around your products, right? Um, so to be able to ensure to get the SOC 2 type 2, that's a mm -hmm. very heavy lift for an organization to make sure all your processes are documented and making sure that you're actually adhering to those processes, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that was the first thing I executed for Paranite, right? Exactly mm -hmm. all the stuff that we did at AIG, bring that over, document it, and making sure they execute. Um, and the, also the other thing is that at AIG, I had a, a combination of app dev with infrastructure. So they wanted to go to the cloud and go to a data center, get out of the data center. So I helped them also go take their applications to, to the cloud and um, out of um, on like an office building type of uh, data center, right? So, um, <laughs> so I had that combination also, but um, mainly I would say for small companies to midsize, what I offer to them is the whole concept of best methodologies and best practices. How do you make sure that they are followed? Because, you know, sometimes you describe the business process, it can be badly followed by the people who actually are uh, involved in these business processes. So what's, what's your secret sauce here? Automation is a big thing, right? If your processes are automated um, and simple, you know, simple steps and automated, and then making sure that, um, for example, at, at Checkalt, we had a, um, process for product uh, features right so basically before it was just everyone would send emails to you know different people and, and no control over that right however we put a salesforce process in where you actually put in your requirements for your new product you know what features you want uh which what line of products you want and then those pro those features get reviewed and prioritized and is you know so it followed a process or like like let it even be help desk right before at uh, Checkalt, our help desk was just basic emails to different random people, but we mm -hmm. implemented a proper service desk ITIL process, right? Which a lot of off-the-shelf products also offer, right? And, you know, we we implemented uh, something like um, ServiceNow, right? So, okay. you know, there are a lot of products off the shelf that will automate a lot of industry standard processes, right? Mm -hmm. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel per se, Right. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you know, if you are a long enough player out there, you know, if you want to automate certain processes, there are tools out there to also help you with that. Right. Um, yeah, makes sense. Right. So you don't want to go out there and build things if you don't have to. Right. 
Um, and then once you do implement them and you want to keep them very basic and simple and, and, and not customize the heck out of it, right? Like for example, at AIG, we did, we had many processes, right? Purchase order processes. Um, we had, you know, uh, accounting, close the book processes, right? Mm -hmm. um, SAP has standard functionality and certain uh, ways to do that. Now, if you stick to the standard out of the box, um, these companies will allow you to make sure that you're following the best practices, right? So yes. what I would suggest is um, look at the pr uh, product vendors out there for the processes that you're looking to automate and mm -hmm. standardize and see if um, you can use those into it and, and buy them. And if not, then sometimes you might have to customize with certain tools out there. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. It's really safe. I mean, processes automation saves a lot of time and exactly. you definitely need to to select the right tool for that, whether exactly. it's out of the box or maybe you can customize something a little bit and tweak to your process that you have yep. internally. And okay. you see when you do, do use out of the box or automate processes, your actual output of work it, it, it's x folds increases right yes. um, your customers are happy your clients are happy right versus you know there's a lot of startup organizations that are, at first everything is okay through emails you know um mm -hmm. yeah, but you can't scale you can't scale or an organization and there's no efficiencies in that right you know, this is an interesting story about the large uh, enterprises and uh, like smaller startup-like start companies. And uh, I had uh, many talks with some of our clients in uh, in which in which company it's better to to work, like in large corporation or in smaller uh, startup. And uh, uh, there is a variety of opinions here. You have the experience in both worlds, so what's what are the, I mean, we have covered something, but what are the major differences uh, working in uh, larger corporation and working in smaller uh, startup-like company? So yeah. maybe what are the major benefits working in those two worlds, two different worlds? Yeah, so where I saw big organizations, you'll get, very, as an employee, you'll get very specialized in one field, right? Because if you're doing SAP or if you're doing networking, you will get a lot of depth in that technology mm -hmm. and you go very deep, right? However, in a smaller organization, you'll get a lot of more breadth. You know, you'll work on, you know, um, you know, building uh, infrastructure, but then you might be coding also. You might be doing security also a little bit. You'll get a wide breadth, but you won't get the depth that you, that you would as a large organization, mm -hmm. right? Um, and a large organization can move around a lot more and still get the depth, right? So you can be become an application developer, which I was. Then I went into infrastructure and I got that depth also, right? In a smaller organization, there's not much lateral movement, right? It's just one group basically in IT and right. It's like you can you can change what you're doing day to day, majority of it, but um, you will never get the depth as you will as in a large organization. Also, in a large organization you'll get to work with a lot more products right and and maybe more of the high-end products right like ServiceNow or like sap and smaller organization you might use you know power bi in microsoft or you know like little lower versions or you might use quicken books for accounting right versus yes. maybe the higher end products right so um 
However, the business processes will probably this, be the same across, you know, uh, you know, putting in accounting, you know, entry versus in QuickBooks versus SAP. However, you will not probably get exposure to those higher end products, right? Um, mm -hmm. That's not to say that maybe as a developer, um, for example, you probably, you know, you could be doing .NET in one organization and .NET in another organization, right? But maybe the scale isn't there, right? So, you know, AIG, we had hundreds of millions of customers. So you have to think of scale, right, as you develop a product, mm -hmm. right? In a smaller organization, you may have thousands of um, customers and clients, right? Um, mm -hmm. And you might not have to think about scale. So um, I would say if I was mentoring someone, I would say go to a large organization first mm -hmm. if you can. So you can okay. move around. You can move yeah. around. Um, and get the depth. Um, however, if you're, but you better be sure of what you want to start with, right? Mm -hmm. But if you're mm -hmm. fully not sure of what you want to do, then go to a small organization because you'll be able to do a lot of different things, right? Um, but if you're sure you just want to code and, and you want to just develop applications, then go to a you know, large organization. But maybe you're, you don't know. You, you don't know if you want to do infrastructure. You don't know if you want to develop. And maybe you like to do mm -hmm. both, right? Mm -hmm. Then go to a smaller organization, right? Um, However, I think you might pick up some bad habits if you go to a small organization, okay. right? Uh, because the processes aren't as well de uh, developed. In a larger, larger organization, you'll have frameworks to follow, right? Uh, and methodology. Yeah. But however, you be clear that you will be just doing that one thing, right? Um, and you better be okay with that. Um, but if you're unsure about what you want to do and, and you, know, you want to do a lot of different things, um, you know, you mm -hmm. want to you know, build your infrastructure in the cloud, plus you want to develop, plus you want to do security, yes. then go into a smaller organization. But okay. if you know you're not going to want to do security and infrastructure and you just want to develop, then go into a, a larger organization. And um, you, because you'll be stuck in that group for a while to be able to move to another group, mm -hmm. right? And it's not super easy to move to different um, organizations or within larger They try to make it easy, but sometimes it's mm -hmm. not that easy, right? Um, so yeah, there's there's pros and cons to both sides. Like I think you, what you're alluding to, right? I read on the checkout website that I mean some some of your quotes with the diversity comes different ideas, different uh, beliefs, different work patterns, and you need this in practice. How do, how does the diversified environment uh, do you think help in uh, your job in your workplace? And what is the most powerful thing about it? What do you think? I remember. I was in a group and at the CIO level and VP level, and it was all males, right? Okay. And, and I remember us all talking over each other, right? Like okay. a lot of alpha males, right? And no one was hearing anything. No one was understanding. No one was trying to see where the other individual, we were all trying to prove our points, you know? A year after that, we got a female CIO, right? Mm -hmm. And we got some females. And um, some, um, yeah, people of color in our group too. You could see the testosterone went down, you know, and the estrogen was up. And us men and women were respecting each other because there were just women present now, right, in our group. And we were actually hearing what the other individuals were saying and working together and collaborating and, 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 and just the energy, the whole energy changed, you know, of the group. Um, how we interacted, we were more respectful, we were trying to listen more. And and that was just because, you know, there were women now in the group, right? 
um, and they offered a different type of uh, energy, right? Or a different type mm -hmm. of uh, compassion or, or understanding, right? And that's what comes with diversity, you know, other people's ideas, other people's viewpoints. Um, and it's, it, it just changes the whole dynamics when you have diversity, right? For the better, yes. right? And I'm a big component, uh, uh, you know, like at Checkalt, I made sure that we had women engineers, you know, we had women developers, we had women QA people, we had women, you know, um, and, and, and even different diversity of age, you know, people with, you know, long tenure, short tenure, you know, and people even with what was also interesting is about diversity is not just, you know, race and gender and age and stuff like that, diversity. Also in people's work habits, I feel is a diversity. Mm -hmm. right? We need we need that too. I remember when creating teams at AIG, um, which was really interesting, I was like, I'm gonna get the smartest developers out there. Okay. And, you know, and I was like, no, that's not what I need to do. I need to find developers who are, are seasoned. I want some weak developers. I want some strong developers. I want some average developers because what ends up happening or different types of personality of developers, right? Because what I found was interesting is that those great developers, they're very egotistical. You know, my mm -hmm. code is best, you know, I, I look at this, uh, the way I've written this code, how I've did it in two lines. The other guy's like, I did it in one line. The other guy's like, oh man, I did it in four lines. And it's just this, competition you know you know and it's not healthy because because competition is healthy to a point but not to the point mm -hmm. where um we're overstepping other people and we're disrespecting people and we're not being compassionate and i found that that if i hired developers that are not as strong they're learning from the stronger developers right and they, mm -hmm. they're raising their game you know and there's not this competition of my code's better than because we're all a team at the end of the day right we all want to yes. work together right and um, when you have unhealthy competition that's not good right and so what i found was that having people you know who like to work at nights or who like to do operations who like to tune code versus write code you know um and and build so like when you're building a football team right you don't hire all mm -hmm. quarterbacks right you have some yeah. great defense people you have great offense people you have a quarterback you have you know a kicker you have all these different players right and that's how you build a successful nfl championship team right and that's how yes. i envision yes. building my teams right to have this diversity of women, male, uh, you know, uh, gender and, and 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 ethnicity and stuff like that, but then also capabilities. I think it's very important to have diversity and capabilities too. And I don't think a lot of people think about that. Um, and, mm -hmm. and I know I had to learn hardware because I used to hire just the smartest engineers. And then what I realized is that the team is not gelling. You know, the team is not. Mm -hmm not not working together they're all like working against each other about you know my thing is better and you know we need to do it my way and there's it's unhealthy okay. so um Got yeah it. i like to build strong nfl championship teams by having great diversity yeah i think you know so the uh there is a project of us uh, top 10 and i take uh i mean before the interview i took a look uh what are the major security risks uh, so far identified for 2021. Uh, so probably there will be some changes in 2022. 
and uh, they have also some predictions over there what will happen with each of the which with uh, each of these uh, potential risks that the organization experiences yeah but uh, you know all the organizations are different so and uh, my question is so what which vulnerability do you think is the most important and uh, in you know in coming year uh, taking into account your situation your experience so what do you think yeah i since everything is becoming like a SaaS model and a cloud model what i'm finding is that the access in these cloud models are sometimes too much or if so if they're too much there's um there's no segregation of duty basically when you were on prem you know, and it was a monolithic applications like SAP or Oracle and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. it was easy to control the access and making sure that there's no segregation, there's no duplicate access or over-provisioned access, right? Mm -hmm. um, now with everything going to the cloud and everything becoming a microservice and, you know, let it be, you know, Salesforce in the cloud, ServiceNow in the cloud, what, what have you not in the cloud, right? Um, it's becoming very difficult to make sure that there's no segregation of duty um, and it's not over-provisioned. And then when employees leave, that provision is not all terminated across all these different cloud applications, right? Um, so, you know, broken access control in my mind is, is a big, you know, thing that's, I, I think in 2022 and 2021, that's happening. And then being able to, you know, a lot of, a lot of employees and clients want zero friction, right? They want to be able to um, access applications everywhere and ev anywhere, right? Before when applications were on-prem, a lot of them, or, you know, it was easier to control that access, right? Uh, now mm -hmm. people want to access on, you know, their mobile device, their personal device, or if they go to a hotel, they want to be able to access their applications, you know? And right. how do we how do we secure that? those applications access of that and still provide zero zero friction to the to the end user right um right. so as a lot of people turn on these applications and their business units who are turning on these applications right let it be mm -hmm. oh they call it shadow it and stuff like that you know they're spinning up Salesforces, they're spinning up Power BI's, you know, and injecting all this data and all these applications in the cloud. And now how do the CIO or the CTO or the security person make sure that access is not over-provisioned or that data uh, hasn't left your organization um, and gone to the cloud? And, and then, you know, there's this um, data out there in these cloud applications that our employees or customers or clients don't have uh, access to, right? And um so I, I i think of that all of broken access control right um I, I think that's a big big um you know big piece of it right you know also you know like i saw cryptography you know our cryptography yes. is uh, changing all the time you know like with uh, these supercomputers now being able to be able to break these tokens and passwords and you know, um, try all these permutation combinations and all this cryptography um, levels are changing, you know, and um, yeah, so, you know, 
larger keys are always needed, right? So with these supercomputers, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it was interesting. Like um, just a couple weeks ago, uh, we were doing uh, DevOps with Azure DevOps with Microsoft. Okay. Um, and we got a pop-up that TLS 1.0 was being turned off. And I was like, oh, really? I was like, Microsoft using TLS 1.0 still? Um, Yeah, like two weeks ago, right? So, or three weeks ago, they're still trying to shut off TLS 1.0, right? So, you know, which most organizations are, or maybe it was 1.1, most organizations are 1.2, 1.3 a few years ago, right? So large corporations or, you know, organizations that are complex, and they have a lot of applications or very complex organizations, hundreds and millions of servers and applications, it's difficult for them to keep up with the cryptography, right? Making sure that, you know, they're on the latest TLS version or latest security patches and large, um, you know, because as we do microservices, as we do, you know, have these, plethora of applications, you know, and the complexity of the applications. It's hard mm-hmm. to maintain the security levels and patching and, and making sure that, you know, you're using the right cryptography in your applications because it just becomes a lot more complex to maintain, right? Um, at Checkall, what we did is we made sure that we're patching on a monthly basis, you know, we're patching the servers or patching the applications. We're making sure that third-party applications, um, OSs are patches, but as, um, you know, uh, endpoints are patched, right? Um, but then you have these hackers out there and these uh, these um, requirements every day, you know, the goalposts are changing, right? And how do you mm-hmm. stay on top of that, right? How do you s- stay on top of maintaining that? Um, all while building products for the customer and building, getting revenue, right, for the, for the, for the organization, right, and keeping them safe at the same time. You know, I watched, I watched the panel, uh, panel discussion with you named uh, "Improve Customer Loyalty with Payments Data," and yeah. there you mentioned also that uh, you know, dealing with the security improvements, uh, you know, yeah. you need to, you need to remove the the heaviest bag first. So what was the most uh, heaviest security bag that you were able to remove? PCI is a very big burden for a lot of organizations, right? Credit card or pan data. Um, and there's, when it first came out, PCI 1.0, I think they're on PCI 4 now or something like that. Mm-hmm. It used to be like 50 pages of requirements. Now there's 700 pages of requirements. Yes. <laughs> you okay. know, so... Um, so the burden is very heavy on any organization that's processing credit cards. Um, mm-hmm. And that burden means, you know, making sure you're patching, making sure you're, you know, uh, your security access is being reviewed, all this stuff, right? So mm-hmm. what there's this concept called uh, network uh, tokenization, basically tokenizing um, information before it actually hits your organization because for large organizations or even small organizations that have been all been there for a long time they have tech debt right and tech debt basically then what happens is is that you got to make sure you're maintaining you know your systems um and that comes Mm -hmm. at a cost right so what i did at checkold was to make sure that basically we don't get the credit card in our organization right? Or okay. basically don't have that data even at all, 
right? Because once you have data, then you're liable for that data. So what we did was um, we used the concept of uh, network tokenization. So basically okay. offboarded that burden to another organization basically, and they tokenize it and we only store the token. So basically that burden of that data is now removed, right? Because we don't have that data. So the CDE network card data um, uh, environment now is not applicable to the organization because um, that is offloaded now to an organize, another organization that now holds the burden, right? Mm -hmm. um, and obviously they have to now make sure they're following the 700 pages of PCI requirements. So the biggest burden that, so I didn't address the tech debt. I somehow mm -hmm. figured out a solution to basically avoid those requirements uh, for that organization. Okay. So, um, so because if we had to address it, it was going to be a lot heavier lift. Okay. And, yeah. Right. So um, for the time frame that for the biggest bang for the buck, I figured a way to basically, and that's the CIO's job. The CIO's job is to make sure we figure out the best possibility of technology mm -hmm. at the best price and the best way to do it right for the business right because to take on an endeavor to basically meet the pci requirements would have taken millions and millions of dollars and it would have taken several years to do right um mm -hmm. versus this project or this technology or this way of doing it we did it within a month's right and fraction of the amount of money and at the same time we still don't we're not we still not liable or we don't have that data so it was that's the CIO's responsibility, right? To find the best possible way of technology to basically enable the business to be, to run the business, right? Uh, and yeah. maintain this, right? Um, and that's where my specialty comes, right? My specialty comes understanding the different options that organizations may need to execute um, to basically run the business, right? Um, let mm -hmm. it, and, and the operations, right? So. Um, and making sure that all our partners get on board with it. Let it be the CTO, let it be the CFO for funding, let it be the, you know, uh, product marketing to basically communicate because the URL was changing, you know, like making sure all those organizations get on board and basically kind of push this forward, right? When you scale your software product, so actually the IT infrastructure costs skyrockets, you know, to the moon. And actually... Uh, this is what you're talking about. Yeah. So you need yeah. to keep your IT infrastructure costs optimized. The question is, so do you think that you can optimize IT costs and also improve cybersecurity at the same time? Because to improve the cybersecurity, you need also to spend, uh, to invest into this. So what's, what's your strategies here? How to keep uh, IT infrastructure optimized from the cost perspective, but also continuously improve your security? You gotta upgrade your applications, right? If you mm -hmm. upgrade your applications, like containerize it, right? So let's back up. Back okay. in the day, everything was physical hardware, right? Your application yes. sat on actual physical hardware, right? Then, you know, which had physical CPUs, had physical, you know, you had one, you know, several servers and with on the server servers, the application sat and it was all physical hardware, right? Yes, then we yes. went to, and, but still you had the operating system, you had the hardware, and then you had the application sitting on the hardware, right? Um, then we went to virtualization, right? 
um, basically now you have a you know a couple of hosts and you have hundreds of VMs and now you have applications sitting on these app you know and you can be motion and 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 keep your applications up and it's all virtual right you can bring them up bring them down you can create them very fast you can add more hosts and still add more virtual servers so you have these now applications sitting in these virtual environments right virtual machines um, and then you went to you know um, the 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 container and the cloud right. So basically, you've abstracted the layer now of your application and your OS, um, and basically now you can um, have you know you can have your application um, not be dependent on any OSs now too, right? Or if you upgrade your OS and um, you, your applications don't, don't get affected, um, and you can have multiple applications on these container based, right? However, what I've noticed is that the .NET framework you got to have to a certain level to be able to now leverage containers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and just do a lift and shift. And just like how you couldn't, it wasn't easy to move to physical to virtual. You actually had to actually tweak the applications, right? To take lever- to take advantage of the virtual environment, right? And now mm-hmm. to go from the virtual environment to go to the containers, you again have to modify your applications to, to a, a standard where you can now leverage containers, right? So. Mm-hmm. To be able to optimize your question about infrastructure, you got to mm-hmm. optimize and making sure that your applications also are optimized to an, a, a, a way that you can take advantage of those infrastructures, right? For example, like what what's the benefit of a cloud? The benefit of the cloud is elasticity, right? To be able to scale out and scale back down, right? Mm-hmm. And to be able to do that, your applications have to be can be able to expand out and in right so what does that mean you got to make sure your applications are sometimes um, sessionless right or half session such that you know when they do expand um your applications now can take in more requests so your application should be able to handle that right and that's how you take care of the elasticity right to be able to expand and uh, collapse right um and basically then you've minimized your hardware infrastructure cost because you your applications can expand and collapse right um, but if your applications can't do that, then you can't really take advantage of that. If your applications can't be containerized, then you're not mm-hmm. taking, taking advantage of the container uh, technology, right? So um, so I think it's not just infrastructure. And that's the beauty, again, about the CIO, right? Because you're marrying the applications because you understand the applications have to be retrofitted or developed in containers or developed cloud first. To be able to take care, uh, take advantage of the new infrastructure cost benefits, right? So it's not okay. easy to say, oh, you know, um, and then the, you know, then the security aspect. I think what you're also asking is, so the first aspect is how do you how do you optimize infrastructure costs, right? The only mm-hmm. way to optimize infrastructure cost, the best way is to make sure applications can also take advantage because the applications have to sit on the infrastructure, right? So okay. you have to, you have to fix or retrofit your applications. When you're building new on a new infrastructure, new you can take advantage of that very easily, right? Because you're starting fresh. Yes. Um, okay. But when you have old legacy applications or current applications, I don't think you know, you have to sprinkle some of security improvements and infrastructure improvements and application. I don't you can do both, but it's like it's like time slicing. You only have $100. You can spend 20 on um, security improvements, maybe 30 on infrastructure and, and some on application, right? So I don't think, um, so you got you to gotta choose your poison, right? I don't think you can mm-hmm. 
you have to spread your dollars or resources, right? You got to do some, you got to do the critical security improvements. You have to do those, right? Okay. Like the SEV zero, SEV one criticality vulnerabilities, right? At the same time, you do want to invest in your infrastructure improvements and cost improvements, but then you also have to invest in your applications and making sure that they get up to date, right? So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, so you can't just do one, you have to do all right but mind you have you have only certain amount of resources right as most organizations and you got to pick your poison right you can't just yes. security yes. because then the underlying infrastructure is going to fall apart you can't just do infrastructure because your application tuning or your application product features are not going to get enhancements so you almost have to look at it a holistic approach right mm -hmm. and say okay what are the critical security features you got to you got to take care of what are the critical infrastructures that you must take care of? And then you must also build features and, um, and, and functionality on your products and applications too, right? So to look at a holistic approach. Being uh, a CIO and CTO at the same time, like mixing the role, you can choose from uh, what path to, uh, to take at the moment, but you need to, you know, to focus on something. And, the, you know, I have a bunch of questions like or uh, where you can select or... Uh, some of the strategies so if you would if you have an option to generate uh, more revenue or focus on something that will optimize cost through the technology so what will you choose good question it depends on where the organization wants to go right um some organizations want to just revenue right and um and they want to get a certain type of evaluation or they want to raise a stock price or for whatever reason, there are companies out there that just want to hyper-focus on revenue. You know, they don't care about the cost. They don't care about the optimization. They don't care about the efficiency because they want to, for the market, look at X amount because certain evaluations are just done X basic on revenue, right? Mm -hmm. And when that's the case, then the CIO has to get aligned to that, right? Mm -hmm. um, but then there are certain organizations that look at profit, right? When profit, when you look at profit, you look at revenue minus cost, right? Yes. Minus cost, right? So I don't usually dictate that as a CIO or CTO. I usually fall in line with where the organization wants to go. And then I support that model. Um, okay. Yeah, so as a CIO, CTO, I don't dictate that. I usually get I usually get that from the CEO or the organization or um, where where they want to go. Where's their trajectory? Because they have different goals. When the organization will have different goals, if it's just for revenue or for profit, which is minus revenue minus you know optimization costs and stuff like that, right? So I can support both models, right? Mm -hmm. um, because they come with a different mindset, right? The revenue model is you know, making sure that, you know, our infrastructures can scale quickly. I have more infrastructure than I need. You know, I have reserves on resources and stuff like that. So I can, I can just turn on revenue, right? Um, mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm not looking at optimization. But then when it's profit, right, I'm looking at optimization. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at, you know, what's the best way to spend that $1, right? Um, because at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's profit that I'm looking at, not just revenue. So if uh, choosing between improve, improving the user experience or improving IT infrastructure? I would say the experience, right, hands down, um, is important because um, the infrastructure 
will if you have a strong infrastructure the you know the experience will be better if you have a weak infrastructure your experience is going to be bad right so um and with end user experience it's not just infrastructure it's also how the application is tuned you know how 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 the flow works right of the application you know how the processes are designed right so i encompass end user experience way more encompassing than just the infrastructure piece because infrastructure piece is just small one small piece in the puzzle if you have an option to remove the technical depth or focus on removing the compliance burden compliance will again trump tech debt because compliance has again just Mm -hmm. the one component of tech debt right um so um you know compliance could be like you know making sure the access is limited but has nothing to do with tech debt right uh, end of okay. life end yes support, right so but compliance also making sure that you know you're not end of life or end of support too right so again i i i think compliance is a, a lot more overarching um and i you know as an organization you should have very good documented compliance uh, procedures and, and and policies in place, right? And in in that, then you basically have you know tech debt and making sure end of life, end of support is taking care of part of that compliance policy, right? Um, so yeah, definitely what um, I would focus on the compliance aspect. That and that again comes with PCI compliance, data integrity, PI, all that stuff, right? It's it has more to do than just tech debt. Let's say you have uh, 50 software engineers and, yeah. uh, you know, according to, I mean, to implement the product roadmap, you need to add another 50 uh, engineers in short period of time. So what would be your strategy here um, from the hiring perspective, from the team structuring perspective? So what, w- what would be the key challenges that you need to address here? What's the span of time that I need to bring on those 50 engineers? So. I mean, let's say it's one quarter. Okay. Uh, you know, I have an interesting story at AIG. Okay. Uh, we were doing a BPO, right? Business process um, offshore, basically. And mm-hmm. I had to build out a 200 man, 300 man team, right? Uh, because mm-hmm. we were actually just building um, a development team and an operations team. And, and I was like, okay. So I started hiring people in Manila. Okay. And my manager's like, uh, you know, a month go by, two months go by. And he's like, so how many have you hired? And, you know, the target was, I think, three, 400 people. I was like, yeah, I hired. And, you know, he was, uh, the goal was, I think, to do it within, you know, three, four months. And after a month, he's like, how many did you hire? And it's like, um, I got four or five done. Okay. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, oh my God, this is going to take okay. forever, you know? So, um, and this is where mentors are important, you know, because they've mm-hmm. done it. Or they've they've done this stuff before, mm-hmm. and he's like, you know what? Why don't you go out and hire a strong, strong CI or CTO or a managing director or a, a a director level or a VP level, right? And I was like, oh, that's a good idea. So I hired mm-hmm. a very strong VP from I think it was like uh, from one of the big five or big six uh, mm-hmm. consultant groups, right? As soon as I did that. He knew like 10 other engineers, 15, 20, 30, 40 other engineers, right? And really good ones. Um, okay. So I learned if I want to build a 50 man team, right? I got to get a senior manager, senior director. Like I have a good network and I can pull these people in and build this team. But however, if I get a couple of strong managers or directors, they'll be able to pull in other strong engineers, right? Um, 
However, at the same time, so making sure that you bring in a top level, couple of top level people, and then they'll be able to build the underlying pinnings, right? That's that's one important thing. The other important thing is to making sure that your existing team is ready to train, you know, this mm-hmm. new team, right? So making sure that I lower their capacity or lower, making sure the organization knows that to ramp up these new people, I got it cross-trainer, knowledge train, right? So being aware Mm -hmm. of that also, right? And then making sure the existing team is not affected with this new team. Like, you know, what's going to happen with their careers and what, you know, where is their career trajectory with this new team, right? So you got to address all those dynamics too. What about Mm -hmm. the senior directors, engineers, managers on the existing team? How are they going to feel, you know? So Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of complexities, a lot of dynamics you got to deal with, right? How are you going to divvy up the products? How are you going to divvy up the teams? You know, how are you going to, you know, how is the, you know, the scrums going to look like, right? So, um, yeah, so, you know, a lot of lessons learned there, right? And a lot of, um, it's an easy thing to say, oh, go get 50, you know, engineers, but there's a lot of different complexities. You're aware of that, like, I've done those many times over and over again, right, at different organizations. You got to be cognizant. And you want to maybe look at partners, too, out there, vendor mm-hmm. partners, who can maybe, if it's just, if you just need 50 engineers for in the next six months to build that product, maybe you don't want to hire mm-hmm. permit people. You want to just get a partner to maybe partner with um, that have a bench strength that can help you build those products, right? Um, so it depends on, you know, how quickly, what what your long-term strategy is. Is it a short-term strategy? You know, get your existing teams ready. Um, yeah, there's a lot that goes into that, right? So there is also another strategy, maybe like to acquire another company. And I have seen this uh, multiple times. In many cases, you know, uh, the story is when you acquire a company and deal is done and money is transferred. So actually the real, uh, the real game begins for the technology team. Yeah, maybe you can share maybe some, some, some major challenges that you have experienced uh, after the post-acquisition uh, integrations from the technology team perspective? Depends on the organization, against appetite, right? Um, there's certain organizations that, you know, have term sheets or M&As that are saying, okay, it has to be done in three months, that's it, you know? And you have mm-hmm. no budget, basically, right? Um, mm-hmm. When they say you have, you have three months, no budget, then, um, you know, there's very little you can do, right? Basically, you amalgamate the technologies or just bring them on. You bring on the people to support that technology. That's your worst scenario, right? Your best scenario is you have enough time, you have a budget to actually decide where the target technology is going to be, the target application and the target going to be, right? Um, And hopefully your tech stack is going to be one target, right? Um, When you don't have a budget, when you don't have timelines, um, your tech stack duplicates doubles triples whatever your people double triple you know whatever that however big the acquisition is right hopefully you can partner with the ceo and the executives to be able to say okay we're going to make sure when we do an m a we're going to have one tar- target stack one target application one target process right if possible um hopefully you can do that within 90 95 percent right um i've been at multiple organizations where um i have been able to target one tech stack one application you know for that process or for the end user products and stuff like that but also been at you know organizations where they're like nope you have a month two months we're not giving you any money you know right so um but when you do that then your long-term 
costs go through the roof, right? Your customer experience doesn't get good. You know, you have mul- you have customers now going through multiple hoops on applications. You have, you know, uh, technology groups which who are just Java or .NET or Oracle or you know SQL Server, and your tech stacks all over the place, right? Um, and it and just becomes what happens is the company then becomes burdened with more tech debt, you know, because now there's more different types of technologies to maintain and upkeep, right? So the ongoing yeah. of that just becomes very burdensome, right? So it's either pay yeah. me now or pay me later, right? Pay me now basically means okay, you know, you got the merger and acquisition done quickly, um, but then you got to pay it later, right? But if you pay yeah, me that's now, right. you know, if you pay me now and say give me the money now, give me the time now to rationalize that. Then you don't have to pay me later, right? So you got to pay me sometime. Either pay me now, or you pay me later, or you pay me. Don't pay me now, you pay me later, right? So, um, so the organizations need to think that way, right? If it's if it's a long game, long strategy merger and acquisition, then I would say or I would highly tell the CIO or CTO try to convince this CEO or the board to kind of make the 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 bite or uh, the fix the problem at the beginning, right? get your go to a single tech stack go to a single application merge the applications right because later when you people have gone it actually costs you twice as probably more right so if you pay me now it's gonna actually be less than what you're gonna pay me in the future right so yes yes and uh, also i think that you know the cultural alignment between uh the boss teams is very important and probably this should be you know assessed from the very beginning even before the acquisition is done how yeah. the cultural alignment will be done between both teams so that the integration will uh, go smoothly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I had a couple of groups who were doing waterfall and other groups that were doing agile, right? And that's a total different mentality, right? Mm-hmm. From a cultural perspective, right? And now when you're doing a merger with a, a waterfall group and now you have an agile group, like like that, that cultural shift takes a, a while to do, right? Yes. Uh, you know, and um, yeah, and you know, both sides are not not happy, right? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, left waterfall like ten years ago, and these guys are still doing it. But these guys, you know, that's all they know, and and, and you got to be patient and get, you know. So yeah, the cultural fit has to also match. You're right. I also think you know that uh, the uh, partnership, uh, like partnership between uh, technological and executive team, is very important. As I understand, you have also the great experience building that kind of partnerships, you know, between uh, technology team and uh, executive team. Yeah, but sometimes executive teams they you know they don't understand what's going on with the technology team. Uh, so what I mean. What what do you think uh, from your experience? So what are the biggest pains of the technology team that are not understood pretty well by the business executives? I think the whole cloud environment has shifted a lot of executives' minds. Like you know, standing up a server, they think it's just a click of the button, or things seem very simple, right? Oh, you can set up an email in two seconds, you know, using Gmail. Like, why does it take so long setting up an exchange server, right, in the cloud or whatever, right? So um, helping executives understand the complexities around, you know, the technology that supports their business applications, that's challenging, right? Um, You know, at certain organizations, I had, you know, 400 subnets, thousands of servers, each on different OSs and different databases and, you know, um, you know, 30, 40 locations with, you know, 30, 40 circuits at each location, you know, 
different types of development groups, you know, hundreds of product lines, right? And then you start adding all the permutation combinations and making sure we stay up 99.99% uptime, you know, um, regulatories up my butt, you know, um, you add all that up, it becomes very challenging, very quick, very fast, right? Yes. And making a, you know, a marketing person or a chief financial officer or, or CEO understand that complexity um, can be challenging. Right, um, you know, yes. and, and and being able to somehow communicate those complexities and challenges uh, in an effective manner is not always the easiest way. But what what do you think is the biggest profit for technology team if you establish a good level of communication and and understanding with this C level suit? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, the the benefit of that is um, faster implementation times faster product development faster you know um there's when the c levels other c levels understand the complexities or the challenges um then it becomes easier to get approvals for um you know doing the tech debt or security updates or doing changes in the system right so um if a cio cto is not successful in that then it becomes very challenging for the rest of the organization to move forward uh, the technology that needs to be done for the customers and the clients. So um, the better the CIO, CTO have that communication and uh, understanding across other C-levels and senior executives that makes um, making products easier, making compliance easier, making finance uh, budgeting easier. So a, a lot of the um, pieces fall in place once you do yes. have great communication and understanding. Yes. Maybe my last question. So what do you think uh, will be the maybe few one or two major things for CTO of fintech companies, you know, to focus on the during the next one or two years? So what are the biggest the, like trends or uh, challenges uh, you need to be aware about? I guess your competition, right? Your competition, because like it's very easy and, and to know your the products and services um and making sure that so alignment with the business and making sure that I, I think a cio cto is very successful if they understand their customers and business models and targets i think that's the going to be the challenge right to understand mm -hmm. your competitors because there's a lot of people able to stand up products and services really quickly um mm -hmm. and making sure that you have a marketability marketability for your product and services right once you have that um then doing it from a technological perspective is is relatively easy um i i think the biggest challenge that the cio and cto are going to have is making sure you build the right products and service for your customers um and it, customers could be internally too right uh, or externally um and, and i think that's going to be continue to be our biggest challenge and our alignment with that i don't think it's going to be you know you know security is going to be another thing i think you know because it's just it's just constantly just it's coming at all different uh, vectors right um so I, I think that's also another big challenge for a cio cto but i, I think the, the the majority is going to be understanding your product market segment right and making sure you're building those right things for the right people so um i think if you get that then it's all gravy from there and it's very important for the CTO and CEO to have the good level of energy. So how do you fulfill your energy uh, to have enough through the day? Yeah, so like 
you know, like you, Vassal, I, I love running. So this morning, you know, um, there's this there's this audiobook I was listening to, and it was about um, the 5 a.m. executive success, right? So, you know, like I get up very early, 5 a.m., 6 a.m., I go for a run along the beach or, you know, at the gym or out um, around, you know, around where I live. And it just builds the endorphins, right? Builds those energy and uh, and making sure that you know the energy at early in the morning is great too. So I love yes. I like to get outdoor and, and get some uh, run in and, and build my endorphins and get my energy from that. And then and then surrounding yourself with a great team, right? Um, you know, making sure you build teams and you have uh, coworkers that you love to work with, right? Uh, and then you have fun doing it because at the end of the day, we gotta have fun while we're doing all this, right? If we're not doing it for fun, then then it actually feels like work. So I think that's it. So Ram, thank you very much uh, for being with us today. And uh, it was uh, really a pleasure talking with you. So it was like our uh, FinTech CTO podcast. Thank you so much. I appreciate your guys' time and, and love. Yeah, thank you very much. And also to all our listeners. So please uh, subscribe to our channel and also like this video. And uh, also don't forget to provide uh, any kind of feedback and what do you think about the topics that we have discussed today and uh, stay tuned stay healthy and see you next time bye 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 guys